Well, good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. He, amen. You can clap on that one. He has arisen. Amen. Amen. One text and then I'll pray. I love this text. Peter is praying, is preaching at Pentecost, and he's just quoted a text from the Old Testament from David, and he says this, seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it, exalted to the right hand of God, he has now received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said this, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Father, the only reason that Friday was good is because Sunday came. And Father, for that we rejoice. Sunday tells us, the resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that the sacrifice was accepted by you. And now we no longer have to fear death. We may fear dying, but we don't have to fear death. For you are the victor over death, and we have life, spiritual life, eternal life, because we know Jesus Christ. Father, for this, we are eternally thankful. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, let's rise and worship. King of glory, 
the King of glory, who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance, the King of glory, the King above all kings, yeah. failing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that I would be set free oh Jesus I sing for all that you've done for me Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Sing it out to him. Worthy is the King who conquered the the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy 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 oh this is amazing grace and stop this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you who wore our 
sin and shame now robed in majesty the radiance of perfect love now shines for all to see your name your name is victor sing that to him all praise will rise to christ our king your name your name is victory all praise will rise to christ our king the fear that held the fear that held us now gives away to him who is our peace his final breath upon the cross is now alive in me your name your name is victory all praise will rise to christ our king your name your name is victory all praise will rise to christ our king Spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. By your Spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected King is resurrecting me. soldiers watched in vain was borrowed for three days thank you lord 
His body there would not remain. Our God has robbed the sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remained my orphan heart was given a name my morning grew quiet my feet rose to dance when death was arrested my life began oh your grace so free washes over your endless love pouring down on us you have made us new now life begins with you released from my chains i'm a prisoner no more my 
shame was a ransom he faithfully bore. And he canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested in my life rejoiced as though heaven had
was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. Sin separated, the breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the chasm, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside. And there at the cross, you paid the debt I owed, broke my chains, freed my soul. For the first time I had hope. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my into glorious life you took my place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death no sting and life has no end for I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb thank you Jesus for the blood applied thank you Jesus it has washed me you have saved 
darkness into glorious light. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, you've washed us white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved our lives. You brought us from darkness to glorious light. Lord, I thank you and praise you for the immense sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you for the risen tomb, the empty tomb. We thank you for the fact that you're interceding for us right now. So today, Lord, as we open your word, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, lead us by your word, and help us to glory in your son. In Jesus' matchless, holy, and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Children, you could be dismissed for junior church. And for the rest of us, I'll be going to Romans chapter 8 in a moment, but uh, I want to say... Happy Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. Well, they didn't hear it. <laughs> he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen and amen. Well, welcome. Um, see a lot of people here this morning. It is good to have you. If you're new to us, we welcome you here today. Um, and for those of us that are old members here, we welcome you as well. I wanted to think today about a counseling term, and the term is empathy. Empathy is interesting because as a counselor, we teach people empathy. We want them to feel what other people are feeling. We want to put them put them in themselves in other people's shoes. It's a skill. And it's a skill that you need in order to build relationships. It's a skill that you need to foster understanding. It's a skill that you need that will promote healing and reconciliation. So as counselors, we teach people reconciliation. Um, teach people empathy and we want to model empathy in our counseling. I was trying to think of what it would be like if we were trying to be empathetic when it came to the disciples and the leaders and the people around the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to put yourself in their shoes at that time, Friday, we call it Good Friday and we heard on Friday a message about why it's Good Friday, but they didn't know the good part of it at that point. After they left that cross on that Friday, they were scared. Their hopes and their dreams had been dashed, and all the experiences that they had had, they have, they've been filled with doubt and disbelief, the struggles that they had. And even when they thought, maybe in the back of their minds, that Jesus had talked about rising from the dead, that was not in the forefront of their minds. 
So if we were going to empathize with the disciples, if we were going to really try to understand what they were feeling, I would venture to say that they had a depth of emotion. They had fears and insecurities. There was this intense struggle that was there. And when we do that, we need to recognize that their hopes and their dreams had been shattered. Their hopes and dreams had been crushed. There was fear and doubt. And even though they had strength, there was great weakness. Now, if we put ourselves in their shoes, their world was rocked. Now, for some of us, we have lost close family members, even this year. And when we lose that family member, we feel the shock. It's this almost like an earthquake that goes through our lives. We walk around in a daze and we are dumbfounded at times. We go through levels of depression and grief and despair that could be there for weeks, months, years, perhaps for even decades. Perhaps there's some of us that are nearing the end of their, our lives and we could feel it and we can feel death's door coming and we are afraid of death and we worry about it. But, but even that, the loss of somebody near to you or the loss of your own life is, is nothing in comparison with what the disciples must have been feeling. That as they were going through this, the disciples had their hopes and their dreams, their broken hearts, their shattered dreams was gone. They had followed Christ. They had left everything to follow this man. They believed that he was the great Messiah, the one that was going to save Israel. They saw his miracles. They heard his teaching. They experienced his love. They experienced his compassion. And what had happened? They thought he was going to overcome the great oppressor, but the great oppressor seemed to take his own life. He thought, they thought that he was going to demolish Rome, the Roman Empire at the time. But it was Rome that hung him on a cross. And all their hopes, all their dreams came crashing down and, and Jesus was arrested. He was tried. He was condemned. He hung on a bloody cross. He was beaten. He was mocked. Their leader was shattered before their eyes. In the aftermath of his death, the disciples must have been filled with doubt and discouragement and despair. And it got me thinking, if we were going to empathize with these leaders, how many of us that sit in this room today struggle with doubts and despair and disillusionment and despondency in life? How many actually sit in this room maybe with a level of defiance as well, saying, I don't even believe that he rose from the dead. I'm here because of a family member that has brought me here today. I don't know what your broken hearts are or shattered dreams, but the disciples had it. The disciples went from despair, though, to joy. They went from doubt to faith. They went from fear to courage. Why? Because of an empty tomb. See, it wasn't just the fact that Christ died on a cross. What changed everything radically in their lives was that tomb was empty. That tomb was not occupied any longer. The body that was in it has risen. But it wasn't just risen. They saw him. They touched him. They heard him. And their lives were changed. Just thinking about the skeptics that may be here among us. Those that are sitting here today that just do not believe in an empty tomb. Leon Morris, a Bible commentary commentator said this, the apostles were not men poised on the brink of belief, needing only a shadow of an excuse before launching forth and proclaiming the resurrection. They were utterly skeptical. 
Even when the women that they knew well told them of their experience, they refused to believe. They clearly needed irrefutable evidence in order to be convinced. They were skeptics, doubters, unbelievers. And I wonder how many of that may be us here today. How many skeptics are among us? How many doubters are among us? Or how many unbelievers are among us? When you think about the discouragement, the doubts, the discouragement, the despair, even the defiance, I want you to think of some of the closest leaders, closest people to Jesus. The women at the tomb, the very first ones that got there, we see that in Luke chapter 24, they get there to the tomb and they were going to anoint the body. What had happened on Friday was that Jesus had died just before sundown. They needed to get the body into the tomb very quickly. They hadn't prepared the body well enough. So they were going to come back on Sunday morning and prepare this body for its time in the grave. And when the women got to the tomb, they had heard Jesus say that he was going to be risen from the dead, but they still didn't believe. What scripture tells us is that they left with great levels of confusion and some level of disappointment. They were fearful. They had heard Jesus was going to raise from the dead, but they didn't see it. And what God had to do was he gave them an angel and the angel came to them and said, he is risen. And now they started to believe. And what did they do? They went to the disciples, the 10 disciples that were in this room. And they talked to these 10 disciples and they said, guess what? He is raised from the dead. They didn't believe it. The disciples you hear on the road to Emmaus. Luke chapter 24 as well. Two of them were walking and they were discussing the events of Jesus' death. As they're walking along and they're talking about Jesus' death, Jesus appears to them, but they can't tell that it's him. And Jesus starts talking to them from the Old Testament about his life and what was going to happen with him. And then eventually their eyes were open. They moved from disappointment and discouragement and confusion to hope. Why? Because they saw a risen Christ. I think of Thomas. Thomas, defiant. Thomas, who said, I will never believe. I will need to put my fingers in his wounds to believe. And Jesus stands before him and says, Thomas, here. And then he believes. I think of Peter. We're studying, for those of you that have not been with us, we've been studying through the book of 1 Peter over the last couple of months. And Peter went from denying Christ once, twice, how many times? Three times. He denied him. He sees Jesus there, and and Peter in his weakness and his fear, he had boasted of his loyalty to Christ. He had boasted that he would be willing to die for Christ, but he couldn't even stand up and profess Christ. But something radically changed, because Jesus had brought him back, and he says, will you Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he says, yes, I do. And that man, 40 plus days later, preaches a message where 3,000 people come to faith. What changed in this man's life? What changed in the women's lives? What changed in the two disciples on the road to Demaeus? What changed in the apostles' lives that were in the upper room? What changed in Peter's life? What changed in Thomas's life was they saw a risen Savior. I thought about Paul, who wasn't even there at the time, Saul. Saul, breathing out hatred, hating Christianity, wanting to destroy Christianity. And what was it that apprehended him? 
It's a sign of the risen Christ. Christ got him and he says, why are you persecuting me? There's something radical when we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So simply today, I want to look at one verse of one verse of scripture. If you turn with Romans to Romans chapter eight, verse thirty-four, and I want you to think about the resurrection of Jesus and how it changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus and how it changes everything. I want you to see the powerful truths that are here in this passage that talk about the fact that Jesus' resurrection, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection changes everything. Romans chapter 8, verse 34, this is the word of the Lord. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. This is the sufficient, eternal, authoritative life-giving and life-changing word. Pray with me. Father, if we're going to empathize with the disciples between Friday and Sunday, we would have a lot of skepticism, a lot of doubts, a lot of insecurities, a lot of fears. Maybe we feel discouraged and despondent. Maybe there are people sitting here this morning that feel the exact same way. Maybe they've heard the story of Christ and his cross. Maybe they've heard the story of the empty tomb and they don't believe it. Lord, I pray today that you would open ears. I pray that you would open eyes. I pray that you would open hearts. I pray that you would remind us that we don't have to fear death any longer because of what Christ has done for us. Help us to bend our knee to worship him to honor him, the majestic one today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Four simple points I want you to consider as we look at this passage from Romans 8:34. The first thing I want you to see is here, he begins by saying, who is to condemn Christ Jesus died. So the first thing I want you to consider is Christ's cross. Christ's cross. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ's death on the cross was necessary to pay for the sins of those that would believe in him. It was his showing his great love for us in doing so. He loved humanity enough. He hates our sin, but he loves humanity enough that he would send his son to die for us. It was amazing that even before this world was created, even before you or I ever was a thought in anyone else's mind, God knew you, and God knew the sins that you would commit, and God knew that he was going to send his son for you. And 2,000 years ago, that Jesus lived a perfect and righteous life for you, and he died in your place if you trust in him today. If you know the Old Testament, the Old Testament talks about this great high priest. And this high priest would go into the temple. And the high priest was a, a mediator between God and God's people and his people. And he became that mediator. He would enter the Holy of Holies one time a year. He would pray for the people of God. He would offer sacrifices for the people of God. And that's as a shadow of what Christ did for you and for me. 
that he not only is a mediator between God and man, he is the ultimate mediator between God and man. He doesn't just pray once for you, he prays continually for you. He laid down a sacrifice, not multiple sacrifices, he laid down the essential sacrifice once for all of those who would trust in him. Jesus Christ entered the presence of God, not just once a year, but for all times. In Hebrews, it tells us he entered once for all into the holy place, not by a means of blood of goats and calves, but the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption for you. It's not one animal that has to be killed ever again because Jesus Christ bled and died for you. Second, that Jesus became our mediator, not just for the Jewish people, but for mediator for all people. As I look around, all the different shades and colors and people, the tribes that you come from, the nations that you come from, Jesus Christ brought a family of all nations, not just one nation, all people all tribes, all tongues, that when Jesus Christ died, he died not only for one people, but for all his people. In 1 Timothy, it tells us there is one God and there is one mediator, the mediator between God and man, and that man is Jesus Christ. That when Jesus went into the temple, like the, the high priest would go into a temple, he sacrificed for the sins of his people. Well, the Old Testament Hebrew um, priest would use animals. Jesus Christ used his own blood. And by this, it says in Hebrews, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I want you to think about this, that as the Old Testament priest would walk into the temple out of levels of fear and insecurity, did I do it correctly? Am I approaching God? We don't have to have that fear ever again because we are coming with the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about an atonement. Atonement is Christ's work for us. What he did in his life and his death to earn your salvation. You cannot earn your salvation, but Jesus Christ did it for you. It was not necessary for God to save any of us. God would have been in his right to say all of us are condemned out of his presence. But what he did was he chose to bring people into his family through the precious blood of his son. So he didn't have to save any of us, but there was no other way for us to be saved. There was no other way for you or I to be saved if it weren't for the precious work of Christ. And Jesus, in his obedience, the theologians call it the act of obedience versus his passive obedience, okay? His act of obedience is that he obeyed every step along the way, perfectly and righteously, from the womb all the way to the grave, perfect for you. So that when God looks at you, if you trust in Christ, he looks at you as though you did the perfect life and lived the perfect life of Christ. That's why you don't have to have any condemnation any longer. You don't have to have any fear of entering his presence because you enter by the perfect righteousness of Christ. That's his act of obedience. But theologians also talk about his passive obedience. His passive obedience where he took on your sin. The thoughts that you have, the words that you speak, the attitudes of your heart, the actions that you've done, all the way from your beginning to your very end, every element of it, Christ took that upon himself. He took God's anger that he would have paid for you in eternity in hell, he took that upon himself for you and for me, if you trust in him. When Christ died on a cross, he died 
because we deserve to die as a penalty for our sins, but Christ became our sacrifice. We deserve to bear the wrath of God, but Christ be satisfied the wrath of God. God is no longer angry with you over your sins. We deserve to be separated from God because of our sins, but Christ brought us together. He removed the barrier between God and humanity. He brought you into a family. And we deserve to be in bondage to sin and the kingdom of Satan. But what he's done is let you loose and he's separated you. He has forgiven you and he has freed you. The crucifixion is a stumbling block to those that don't believe. It's scandalous. To, to have your savior hang on a cross is just reprehensible in people's mind. But it's the most beautiful scene that you could ever imagine. That the precious savior his holy love for you, but his holy justice came down at the cross to save you. So as the writer here says, as Paul says in this passage, he says that first, who is to condemn Christ Jesus, the one who died? I want you to see a cross. The second thing I want you to see is an empty tomb. An empty tomb. He says here that it's not only that Christ Jesus is the one who died, but was raised. In fact, he puts an emphasis on the resurrection. So many of us put an emphasis on the cross and the Friday, which is so important. It's a pivotal point in human history, but that means nothing if we don't have Sunday. If we do not have an empty tomb, it means absolutely nothing. What Christ did for you and for me was he was raised from the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says, And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you still are in your sins. Because if Christ died and was not vindicated, you would have rights to question whether God accepted his payment at all. In fact, how could Christ, who was perfect and righteous, not raised from the dead? How could God not vindicate him and validate him? Well, he did. He did with that empty tomb. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant event in human history. It changed the course of this world. It changed our understanding of God. And it changes our understanding of ourselves. The resurrection is abundant in its testimony in Scripture. In fact, every gospel account has a resurrection account of Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ was raised, he was not raised like Old Testament or New Testament raisings from the dead. You may know that there were people that were raised from the dead or brought back to life. But Jesus Christ was different. He wasn't just made alive. He was resurrected. He was resurrected to a life that he will never die. And the hope that you and I have is this. That when, we, when my physical body breaks down, and it will, it already is. And when it breaks down, ultimately. Uh, trust me, I feel it, right? How about a body that is perfect? A body that no longer is subject to weakness, a body that is no longer subject to aging, a body that is no longer subject to death, and you can live eternally. A lot of religions in this world think about the afterlife, right? They think of a soul or your heart living forever, you know? It's only Christianity that says you're not separated here, that in eternity you are going to have a body and soul, body and soul for all of eternity. Yes, temporarily we may be separated from our body at death, 
But then in the ultimate point, God is going to give us a new body, a new mind, a new life, a new soul, and that soul and body come together. The beauty of the resurrection is the fact that we are never going to die again. The beauty of the resurrection is that it ensures that you have been saved because Jesus Christ was risen from the dead and it proves that God has accepted his sacrifice for you. Scripture also tells us that Christ's resurrection assures our justification. Justification means that you are declared not guilty, actually innocent in the light of Christ. Scripture also tells us that Christ's resurrection ensures that we will receive a perfect resurrection body ourselves. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates all his claims. He claimed that he was going to rise from the dead. Guess what? He did. He claimed that he was God. Guess what? He proves it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us assurance of our salvation and hope for eternal life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ defeats death. That even as my physical body breaks down, I am going to conquer death because of Christ. And so will you. Death is the ultimate enemy of humanity, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ defeated death and gives us victory over it. We no longer have to fear death. We may fear dying, yes, but you and I never have to fear death ever again because Jesus Christ was raised victorious for you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings new life. Through the resurrection, we're given a new life. In Romans 6, it says, we have been buried with him in Christ, into baptism, into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. We are made new creations and have power to live over this life. We are forgiven and set free. Why? Because of the power of a resurrected Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. The resurrection gives us hope for a better future and the ability to fulfill life here on this earth. The resurrection of Jesus Christ reveals God's love for you. That he sent his son and he desires a relationship with you if you want to trust in him. It shows that God is powerful enough and he can do the impossible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us an understanding of the nature of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. A bloody cross, an empty tomb, leads us to the third thing, a heavenly throne. What does it say here? It says that Christ Jesus is the one who died, right? More than that, he was raised, and he's at the right hand of God. So Jesus Christ bore a cross. Jesus Christ was in an empty tomb, left an empty tomb, and now Jesus Christ is on a heavenly throne. Days after his resurrection, he ascends into heaven. He ascends bodily and soul into heaven and is seated right now at his Father's right hand. This is a key point in, in Christianity. We don't serve a dead Savior, we serve a risen Savior. He's no longer in the world physically, he is in the world spiritually, but he is in heaven right now at his Father's throne, at his Father's right hand. And what does that cause us to do? It causes us to know that Jesus Christ ascended to a place. It's not just 
amorphous. It's not just some figment of imagination. Jesus Christ, who walked on this earth and breathed and ate and slept on this earth, is now seated at his Father's right hand. Right hand is authority. Right hand is, is a place of majesty. He received all the glory and honor that he had not received here on earth. He received it immediately as he goes into heaven and is ascended. The angels that are praising him. All those Old Testament saints are praising him. And you and I are going to get the same opportunity to praise him. We praised him this morning. We will praise him together with all people of all times that trust in Christ. He's seated right now at his father's right hand. And what he does is he's, because we are united with Christ, amazingly enough, as Jesus Christ is in heaven, you and I are connected to heaven. Even though we are physically here on earth, we are connected to heaven because Jesus Christ is there for you. Jesus Christ gives us an assurance that our final home is not this earth. Our final home is heaven. And because of our union with that ascended Savior, we're able to share in part Christ's authority over this universe right now. And later, we'll do it more fully. Jesus Christ, in his humiliation, he took on his incarnation. He became a human being, he, truly God and truly man. And in his life, in his suffering, in his death, and his burial, he was humiliated. But he's exalted now. He's exalted to a place where he is raised from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. Scripture talks about the fact that he's seated at his father's right hand and he will return in glory. The pastor says, who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died more than that. He was raised and is at the right hand of the father right now. The divine favor, the honor, the authority. This crucified savior was not only raised from death to life, he was raised from earth to heaven. 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was lifted up before their eyes. And the angel said, men of Galilee, why are you staring? This same Jesus is gonna come back in the same way. What an amazing thing. In Ephesians chapter one, it says, God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all power and authority and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also the one to come, the one who died on a cross, the one who rose from the dead is now seated at his father's right hand. The psalmist saw this briefly. In Psalm 110, it says, sit at my father's at my right hand until I make your enemies its footstool. Christ's empty tomb is now Christ's occupied throne. He is risen, he is ascended. We see a cross, we see an empty tomb, we see an ascended, a heavenly throne, and lastly, we see perpetual prayer. This one really gets me. I like praying for people. I have a prayer journal. I have people that I pray for. I know that there are people in this congregation right now that pray for me. You tell me that. I can't tell you how much it means to me to hear that you're praying for my, my family who has gone through health issues or, or for me for struggles that I've had. It just means the world to me when I know that there are people that are praying for me. But what would it be to think about the second person of the Trinity praying for you, perpetually. 
He is before his father's throne saying, I'm praying for you. He's lifting that request. I've paid for that sin. That sin is paid in full. Power for this person, forgiveness for this person, freedom for this person. He is praying over and over for you. This perpetual prayer, the Old Testament um, great, um, sorry, um, lost it, high priest, the Old Testament high priest not only mediated between God and humanity, he also prayed for his people. He's praying for you right now. This is a powerful truth. It's a great comfort. Who is to condemn? No one is going to condemn you because Jesus Christ is advocating on your behalf. He said, I paid for that with my blood. I paid for that with my life. I paid for that with an empty tomb. So as you sit here today, I pray that you have trusted in that Savior. I pray that you have trusted in the one who's advocating for you so that when we are weak, I want you to remind yourself he is strong. When we are in need, I want you to remind yourself that he provides. When we are lost, I want you to remind yourself that you have a home. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. He knows your fears. He knows your insecurities. And he's paid for it all in his life, his death, his resurrection for you. When I think of Jesus Christ interceding for me, it also is a call to action. See, I'm called to follow his example. I'm called to intercede for others. I'm called to pray for those brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm called to pray for even my enemies. I'm called to pray for those who do not know him. I'm called to pray for every skeptic that is in this room, every doubter, every defiant person that is in this room. I'm called to pray that God opens your eyes and brings you to faith. I said the second person of the Trinity is praying for you, but in verse 26 of Romans 8, it tells us not only the second person, but the third person of the Trinity. God the Father is receiving these prayers from God the Son and God the Spirit. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit is himself is interceding with groanings too deep for words. Jesus Christ is praying to the Father for you. The Holy Spirit is praying to the Father for you. I want you to meditate on the fact of a cross, an empty tomb, a throne in heaven, and a perpetual prayer for you, mediation for you. What does all this mean? I want to close with four things I want you to consider out of this resurrection. One, the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope gives us hope. See, the disciples were lost and despondent. They were despairing. They were confused. They were fearful. They were hiding. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ gave them hope, a boldness that they had never experienced before and they would never experience again. It's a reminder that death is not the end. The resurrection of Jesus Christ reminds us that he conquered sin and that you and I can have eternal life in him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives you hope and assurance. Not a cross your fingers, I really wish, but a confident, confident assurance that God is sovereignly in control. There's hope beyond all hope. For the hopelessness that you have, God grants you hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us power, second. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead 
And it says in scripture that Jesus raised himself from the dead. It says in scripture that God the Father raised Jesus from the dead. It says in scripture that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So the triune God, the sovereign power of this universe is residing in you if you know him. See, the resurrected Christ gives you hope, but the resurrected Christ gives you power. You are forgiven, but you are set free. You have power over sin. You could say no to Satan. You could say yes to righteousness. You could pursue him with fervor in your life. And you could become a bold witness for Christ. That's exactly what Peter did. Peter, as Pastor Doug used earlier, Peter preached a gospel message where thousands of people came to faith. This man that who could not profess Christ before a little girl before a fire is professing Christ before enemies and people are drawn to Christ. It gives us hope. It gives us power. Third, it gives us forgiveness. There are some of us in this room that are feeling condemned by your guilt right now. You feel the heavy weight of it. Praise God for that. I use this illustration, I probably have used it here before. If you put a weight on a corpse, what do they feel? Nothing. You put a hundred pound weight on a corpse, I don't want to be gross, but you, they will feel nothing. But if you bring that corpse to life, they start to feel the weight that is hanging on them. If you're feeling the weight of your sin this morning, praise God and then turn to his son at the cross because he wants to set you free and forgive you. It's a reminder that every sin can be forgiven. The only sin that can't really truly be forgiven is the one that is unbrought, not brought to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives you, he reconciles you to God, he's given you the gift of salvation, he has freed you from guilt, he has freed you from shame, and he enables you to live free today. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us hope. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us power. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us forgiveness. And lastly, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ gives you a new identity. You're brand new. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to death. We are children of God. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are members of his body. This new identity gives us a sense of purpose and belonging and empowers us to live a life that God honor, that honors God and blesses others. These powerful applications can be yours only if you trust in Christ. I wonder if you have hope today. I wonder if you sense resurrection power today. I wonder if you feel forgiven today. I wonder if you know your new identity today. If you don't, I pray that this would not be an Easter Sunday where you walk out and say, I heard that before, and don't bend your knee. Let today be the day that you bend your knee before the Son and worship Him and honor Him. Be forgiven, be set free because of what Christ has done for you. Let us pray. power of the cross, Christ came here for us. He took our blame, he bore your wrath, and we stand forgiven at the cross. 
Lord, it is that pivotal point in human history. I still cannot understand why you would do it. I find myself struggling to let go of things that people have done to hurt me. You have let go of everything that we have done in Christ. Lord, I, I'm dumbfounded by the fact that Jesus, you would be willing, the Holy One, to take on sin. I'm dumbfounded, Holy Spirit, in the fact that you would bring me a rotten sinner to Christ. Lord, I pray that we would see a cross that is empty. I pray that we would see a tomb that is empty. I would pray that we would see a heavenly throne today that is occupied. I pray that we would sense the perpetual meditation, mediation of Christ, that he's praying for us. I pray that we would feel the hope and the power and the new identity that is ours in Christ. And I pray that for those that need it, they would feel forgiven and set free. Help us to worship your son today. Help us to majestically praise him today. For those that don't know him today, I pray that you would open their eyes, humble them as the disciples needed to be humbled, transform them as they desperately needed as well, and do something amazing in them and through them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Oh, to see the dawn. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. Christ on the road to Calvary. Tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then. Nailed to a cross of wood This the power of the cross Christ became sin for us Took the blame Bore the wrath we stand forgiven Crossing, oh, to see the pain. Oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin. Every bitter thought, every
daylight flees, now the ground beneath quakes as its maker bows his head. Curtains torn in two, dead are raised to life, finish the victory. so good to have each one of you with us today. We count it a privilege to have you here. Uh, every Easter Sunday, I have the joy of a very beautiful memory that uh, took place for a friend of mine uh, 22 years ago. And uh, we'll never forget that Sunday. Uh, my friend Dan Slack, who's right in the middle over there, that big guy, uh, came up after the service we've been talking for three years about the gospel and he said I'm just not good enough I'm just not good enough I don't think I can live that life and that day he realized that his name was written in the wounds of Christ and that forgiveness is available to us apart from us and that is the joy of this day and I, I hope 
and pray that you have taken in the message you heard today. I pray that you've listened to the songs you've sung. That last song is the gospel in all of its power. That there is no shame that God can't remove. There is no sin that God can't forgive. Maybe you came here today wondering if there was hope for you. Well, the power of the cross says there is. And it's found in the person and work of Christ. And he can change not only your life today, but by the resurrection power of Christ, he can change your life forever. And we want you to know that. And I trust that this has been a blessing to your heart. If you have any questions, if you have a need for prayer, a couple of us will be up front here. Please, please come. If you need clarification, say, today I want to pray and trust Christ. I have felt the weight of my sin. And they need to be forgiven. I, I pray that you'll come. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, what a love. What a cross. Lord, my only hope is found in the accomplishments of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's not found in being a minister. It's not found in trying to be a good person. It's not found in trying to be a good mate, a better son or daughter. Our hope is found in acknowledging that we are not better, but that Christ himself is sinless. And on the cross bore the full weight of my sin so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be free. Father, I pray for that person here this morning who bears a weight of guilt and shame, who needs to be delivered from it by the blood of Christ. God, give them the courage at the end of this service to walk up and say, Pastor Tim, today I want to trust Christ. Lord, let the truth of what you did for us saturate our hearts today with deep gratitude and great joy. And we pray all of these things in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and all God's people say, amen. God bless you as you go.